I am here today with a guest that I'm stoked about, Tori Nershel. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm stoked too. For those of you guys that don't know Tori, 2000 was a 16. Yeah. National champion softball with the University of Oklahoma. Big deal, huh? Big deal. Boomer senior. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's fun. Obviously, there's a lot more to you. I don't feel like I'm going to have to describe you or give a big resume. We'll talk about the softball real quick because I think it's very interesting. But I think over the next hour or two, we're going to get into who you really are, which is why you're here. Yeah. (laughs) We've had some good conversations the past few weeks, and it just makes sense to sit down and talk about some things that you are into right now and learning. And I think for me, I just want to kind of hear it and learn more. So I'm pumped about this. But let's get into the softball real quick because we made this comment the other day that like literally 25, how many girls on the roster? Like 18-ish. Yeah. So you're looking at like 18, 20 girls every year mm-hmm. out of hundreds, hundreds of thousands, maybe if you yeah. count all the colleges, all the athletes, they get to be a national champion at the division one level, which is pretty wild. Pretty wild. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it still hasn't hit me that it's real. I mean, it is real. It's been three years since then. But yeah, sometimes when you're hearing someone else like you say, it, I'm just like, whoa, like that's pretty cool. Like <laughs> It is. It's crazy. I think you probably don't see it that way because you're in it and you're doing it. Yeah, we're watching it and we're sitting at home thinking that would be awesome. What do you think separates? Because you also went to Pitt and had a good career there for two years, Mm -hmm. transferred over to Oklahoma. And obviously there's just a difference in recruiting and talent level at any of these schools. But beyond beyond that, and I think just the players and not even in comparison, but during a national championship season, what sticks out to you as to why it was that way? Because I'm sure that who'd you guys end up beating that year? Was it Florida? Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. Florida um, was the year after. Okay, that's right. That's <laughs> what I remember too. What do you think it is that sticks out? Like you look probably at an Auburn and you look at a Florida and go, they're here. So talent-wise, you're all very, very close. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, and as far as just like the culture of the organization is one of the things that turns you into a national champion instead of the people that got beat by the national champion? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've thought about this a lot, um, both in my time on the team and since then working in the athletics department at OU. And I think it's interesting because especially with the rise of social media, like we're like anybody in the public could so easily see, oh, this is what Florida's workouts look like in the morning, or this is what Michigan's doing in the off season. Like it's like you said, like the margins are razor thin and any given top ten team could take the natty and it just kind of comes down to how things synergize and mesh together well and that was one of my probably my favorite elements of my experience at OU is just learning so much about culture and a lot of it has to do with the coaching staff and a lot of it also has to do with the group of girls that you are surrounded with the group of athletes that you're working with day in and day out and I think a lot of it is just an expectation that you're going to win but at the same time that's not everything like my junior year We had Lauren Chamberlain, the NCAA career record holder for home runs, and Shelby Penley, and they both went one and two in the overall pro draft that year. And so we thought for sure, like, oh, we're going to win. Like, this is our year. Yeah. And we ended up losing to Alabama in the Super Regional. And then the next year, it was a quote unquote rebuilding year. And then that's the year that we won. So I think some of it comes down to just being loose and almost taking that expectation down a few notches. Like, I think at least at OU, we always performed the best when we felt 
felt a little bit like an underdog. I mean, even when we're ranked number fourth in the country and we're playing, you know, an in-conference opponent who's maybe ranked 15th, like we would find ways to put the odds against us so that we could have that feeling of, you know, we're the underdogs here, like we have something to prove. And I think that that worked for us and each organization might have something that works a little bit differently for them. But yeah, synergy is no joke. Like, I mean, you could have the best starting nine position players on a roster and if they just don't mesh well, then it's not going to work out for you the way that it would if you have a solid group of athletes who are just going to bat and battle for each other, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think just in that alone, you have the number one and two players in the country. Yeah. And you don't win because talent is what it is. But I think when you're a team and you're all chasing something that big, Mm -hmm. it's just got to be everybody. Yeah. And, And I think that's the biggest thing, too, is finding the motivator because it's an everyday thing. Do you guys think you were more motivated by, well, you were, but to be the underdog versus the expectation and the motivation of being the top dog? Like, we have something to live up to and prove every day in a high way. Like, it sounds like you guys went, we like the underdog role. We don't want to be the number one until the season's over. Yeah. We want to be the group of girls that the people go, this is going to be a tough matchup for them. This is going to be tough. Yeah. Right? So, I think to find your own kind of, and that's the thing, too, as a team that's hard, is to, like, find that. Right. It happens organically for any good team because you can't force something like that. But is there a point where you guys all kind of realize like this is where who we like to be? Or are you just looking back at it go, that's who we like to be? It's a great question. I think, well, in my, in my time there, I mean, my coach is always huge on like, don't get too big for Like if we were making fun of some girl on the other team, cause her mm-hmm. hair looked weird or whatever, she'd be like, don't do that. We're going to lose this game if you do that. And like, she was right. Like we would end up losing a game that we shouldn't have lost just because we were like getting a little too ahead of ourselves and taking ourselves too seriously. I don't think it was, a, it came down to motivation. I think it was more making the objective a little bit smaller. If, if you go in there thinking like, all right, we have all the talent in the world. We have all the preparation and training done in the world. Like we have everything on our side and in our favor that would, you know, lead us to win this game. Then it makes the objective of like win or lose that much bigger because you put so much extra pressure on it. I think that if, if you just make the objective a little bit smaller, like, hey, listen, like, This may be a super regional game, but at the end of the day, it's just a game. Like, it's another seven innings. It's Mm -hmm. another opponent. You acknowledge, okay, they're a tough matchup. Like, they have this going for them, but we have this going for us. Like, it brings you more into the present moment, I feel. I think it just helps you recognize the one single objective in front of you as it is, and no more, no less than that. It helps you take it seriously, but not too seriously. And I think that allows you to be a little bit looser. I mean, remain aggressive and in every pitch and in every play, but not so obsessed with every little component that you get in your own way. And I think that that does come down to the culture of the team. And I mean, that's experience. It helps to have people on the team or in the coaching staff that have been to that highest level before, whether it's the College World Series or a championship, conference championship, whatever. There's an unspoken thing that like almost a comfort or a trust that brings to the table because it's like, okay, I know that we know how to get there. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to lay out step by step how we're going to get there, but like we just have it. Like we know that Mm -hmm. we're going to get there. Um, And again, not making that a spoken expectation necessarily, but there's a little bit of a swagger and confidence that comes with knowing that you've been there and you can get there again. 
Makes sense. I think, yeah, what sticks out to me, that whole idea is like control the moment, not try mm-hmm. to control the outcome. Yes, like, absolutely. Be, you control the moment and the outcome will probably be where you want it to be. Right. I like it. I like it a lot. You were talking about kind of not making it such a big thing and going about it. Like, yeah. I feel like that makes the most sense because I feel like when you want something like super bad, mm-hmm. like you're like super all in on it. And yeah. In sports, maybe life, it's good to go all in on things that you can work for and yeah. business and stuff like that. But sports, it just feels like all you're doing is adding pressure to the main goal. Yeah. Like everybody knows you start a season at Oklahoma, you know what the expectation is. Yeah. And I think talking about it makes it a bigger expectation where it's like if we don't get there, then we're failures or Mm. or whatever. Right. Mm. If our whole season rides on that, which it does. Right. It just does. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody wants to get there. One team ends up happy at the end of the year. Right. Really happy, I should say. Everyone else can look back and kind of pick things that were good, but you want to win. So do you feel like that's that's why and a good thing to do is to just, you know, it's there, but we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to look at it every day and think about, we're not going to go look at the trophy and go, it's that or bust. Right. Right. It's today. Yeah. And it's be really good. Mm-hmm. And it's hanging up when it's over and go back and get ready for tomorrow. Absolutely. And and our mantra, uh, at least when I was on the team, uh, was championship mindset. And what that is, is it's not the mindset of, oh, championship or bus. It's the mindset of championship work ethic, championship preparation. So the way I like to condense it is work hard, don't try hard. You know, so it's like mm-hmm. put in put in all the effort, put in all the work so that you have the confidence of knowing that you've prepared and you're ready. But then when it comes down to performance, it's like, just let your body and your brain do what they know how to do let your mind get out of its own way you know let let yourself just go because you can trust in the coaching that you've had the preparation that you've done the work that you've put in just go yeah I like it yeah so we talked a lot about obviously you and and the mindset of college athletics and where you were at and a big reason why you're here there's many reasons but one of my favorite (laughs) reasons why you're here is we've been talking a lot lately about neurofeedback which is something yeah. we're super into so um, cool and i just in listening i'm super into it now and i kind of <laughs> want to learn and kind of want to go do it but just talk to me about it and what it is and clue us all in because i think i think it's amazing yeah it's so interesting it's something i hadn't heard of until relatively recently well i guess i'll give you a little bit of insight without getting into too much detail but part of the reason i came back here from oklahoma was to deal with some medical stuff i had going on and a lot of that was some neurological just some fun neurological stuff (laughs) that we've been trying to figure out and um, that's kind of how i got hooked up with this person down in san diego who works with neurofeedback as you were saying and i initially started it just to help with those symptoms that i'd been having but in listening to her kind of give me the ideology behind what it is and what it does and how it can benefit your body and your brain. I got super bought in and now I just have kept doing it to help with, I mean, the initial purpose that I had for it, but also just realizing how much it leaks into other areas of my life. So basically, quick rundown, uh, neurofeedback. It's a practice that helps your brain function in the most effective and efficient way possible. And so the illustration I like to use with it uh, is like if you take a piece of paper 
and you fold it several times, then unfold it, you see all these creases. So to get from one end of the paper to the other, your brain would operate on these different folds and creases that are in the paper. So I mean, it gets from point A to point B, but it takes kind of a roundabout way of getting there. It's kind of indirect. But if you were to take the same piece of paper and fold it from opposite corner to opposite corner, now you have a fresh new diagonal. And if you just follow that straight line, you get from point A to point B, but much more effectively and quickly. And so neurofeedback is essentially training your brain to get from point A to point B quicker and more effective. But our bodies, including our brains, like to stay where they're used to being and staying comfortable. And so as you start to train your brain to go from point A to point B, there's going to be a little bit of pushback. There's going to be some resistance because your brain is wanting to go back to homeostasis. So I think of it as like, if you are someone like me who kind of slouches a lot and then you realize you're slouching and you sit up straight and you're like, oh my gosh, that feels so much better. But the longer you sit there, it starts to get uncomfortable because your body isn't used to doing that. It hasn't built up the core and back muscles to kind of hold that more effective position. So after a while, you get fatigued and you want to go back to what's comfortable, even though that's not what's best for you. But the more you practice and the more you train yourself to sit upright, the better off you are because you're new normal, you're new comfortable, and it's better for you in the long run. So it's a similar idea with the neurofeedback. The more you practice, the more natural it becomes for your brain to operate in this streamlined function, I guess, a streamlined version of what it would be doing normally. And it leaks into everything. So it helps with, you know, physiological processes. It helps with, you know, your mind. And that's another thing that I learned is your mind and your brain aren't the same thing. It's like your mind is kind of your psyche or your conscious, like the thinking processes that you kind of create for yourself. And then your brain is like the big gray matter that's sitting in your skull that affects all of these different functions of your body and it's essential to life. So what's fascinating to me, um, and I think we kind of touched on a similar concept when we were talking about softball earlier, is your brain and your body know what they want to do. Like your brain is so much smarter than we give it credit for, but our mind gets in the way because we try to think our way through things too much. We try to force what we think should happen into happening. And it's crazy how that kind of manifests itself in different areas of your body and in your life. And I mean, I think of stress, like stress has so many negative impacts on our body and our well-being just because thinking those toxic negative thoughts all the time or operating in a state of chaos all the time has physical implications on like yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of cool learning how to get the mind out of the way and allowing the brain to do what it wants to do because that's what it was created to do. And then there's kind of a fun little, I guess you could call it a dance. (laughs) There's a little bit of a give and take between the brain and the mind, and they're both trying to operate the way that they think is best, but they're training each other a little bit into realizing what the best actually is and what it looks like. So it's been kind of trippy. It's It yeah. sounds very abstract, but the more I've done it, the more I've seen the positive benefits of it. And I'm just like, shoot, I wish I knew of this earlier. <laughs> like, it's so cool. I think it's crazy. Yeah. I love this. I, I don't think it sounds abstract. I think it just sounds deep and like, wow. Because <laughs> how much of this, like for you, like of what you just said, how much mm-hmm. of that did you know or think about or have any knowledge of before you started doing this i knew you're like an intuitive like you you've right. always thought like thought, yes i'm thought. very deep i'm but just that, kidding just, <laughs> just, yeah whether, whether good or bad right yeah you a lot and you i think ponder things and worry about things and i've known yeah. you a long time and stress has been one of the things right yeah but <laughs> but in the last three months or whatever it's like a whole different a whole different ballgame yeah perspective on on everything from you and it's pretty cool to see not that you were just some big stress ball but right 
to see literally it feels like no stress. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I just think it's wild that you can just decide, <laughs> oh, I'm going to go see this person. They do something to you. You get bought in. You believe in it. Yeah. And then it, it, it works because physical stuff is easy. Eat better, mm-hmm. work out, you'll look mm-hmm. better. But the mind and the brain is like, it's a serious commitment to change oh, yeah. something like that. So I just think it's cool. I think it's wild. It is wild. It's so wild. It's We've wild. talked a lot about it. And I think, you know, to be able to just explain like what you just did is mm-hmm. that's the, I think, tip of the iceberg of what it's all about. Right. But then there's training methods. Like what are some methods or what is some things that you do that like train, like train the brain and the mind and. You mean in my day-to-day or in the neurofeedback? Maybe both. Okay. Well, I'll start with the neurofeedback just because that's kind of where we were going. Mm-hmm. So you'll go in there, and I don't know if there's different methods of doing this, but this is the way that I've done it. You go in there, and there's different sensors that the person will put on different areas in your scalp, or on your scalp, not in your scalp. It's not that scary, you guys. <laughs> and depending on which, like you have a, an initial session where you kind of just talk about what you're wanting to get out of it and what things you, you feel like you struggle with, and they do you know, some sort of assessment just to see what you need from it. And obviously everyone knows we have different areas of our brain that are responsible for different functions. So depending on, you know, what you're wanting to work on, they'll put the sensors on a different area of your scalp because it'll not penetrate through, but like it'll it'll read one region of your brain. And so those sensors and the wires will be connected to a monitor that the person that does mine is a psychiatrist. I don't know how you get a certification to do neurofeedback, but whoever the professional is, is assessing the numbers that are on the screen. And that has, you know, different measurements, most of which I'm not familiar with, but I know that it assesses like your different brain waves and it can read like your anxiety level and your essentially your sleepiness level, like all sorts of crazy sophisticated stuff that I can't even like get into. I'm sure it requires 40 hours of training just to like know what the numbers mean. And really quick, I'll just get into the three main brain wave types that, you know, I look at when I'm doing this sort of training. So we have your theta waves, which are basically like low level associated with sleepiness or grogginess, depression, yeah, those sorts of things. And then you have uh, your high beta waves, which are, you know, high anxiety, stress, chaos, like think there's a bear chasing me, like I'm in high panic distress mode. And then in between those kind of what we call the zone or like the happy areas, your beta waves. And that's, think of like an athletic zone or anytime you're really dialed in, but like you're just relaxed. So you're focused, but not obsessed. You're well, I guess I already said that said this, relaxed, but you're you're very aware and alert, but not like on high alert. So it's it's that happy place that you want to be in where you're aware of everything going on around you. You're kind of locked in and you know what's up, but you're not, I don't know, you're not thinking too hard about it. You're not trying too hard to make that happen. And so that monitor that I mentioned earlier, where the professionals looking at the different waves, they can kind of tell what's going on in your brain based on those numbers and those patterns that they see and then that that monitor is attached to another screen that has basically it looks kind of like a computer or video game and the favorite one that I like to use it has three rocket ships so there's a pink rocket that is associated with the theta waves that I mentioned earlier and then there's a blue rocket which is like the beta or in the zone waves and then there's a yellow rocket which which is the high beta waves or the stress waves and so the objective of this particular game would be to have the blue rocket just keep cruising forward and then the pink and yellow rockets kind of staying at bay at the bottom of the screen and the longer you can keep the blue rocket cruising forward the longer you're able to stay in that zone and so once you get out of the zone the rocket kind of stops and drifts back and then if you start trying to compensate like say you start getting stressed out because you're trying to think too hard like okay blue rocket 
rocket, like go, 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 the yellow rocket will start to creep up because you're thinking too much about it and you're stressing about it. And sometimes your brain will try to compensate and say, okay, I'm stressing out too much about it. So I'm going to kind of put myself in sleep mode to try to balance it out. And then your yellow rocket will kind of creep forward. And so you start to see a visual illustration of how your brain is used to operating. Like if it's not in this zone, these are the ways it's trying to compensate and those are unhealthy. Yellow creeping forward isn't negated by pink creeping forward. It's just two funky things that are along for the ride when really you want them to stay out of the picture. And so it's very interesting because your brain is able to see what's going on on the screen. It's a very basic illustration. I mean, it's like a three-year-old's computer game, basically. Mm -hmm. But it uses that as feedback. And once your brain makes a connection between, okay, blue is good, yellow and pink are bad, and it starts to play around with how to get that right balance, it uses that as feedback to adjust the way that it's processing. And then that adjustment that it learns from from a computer game translates into essentially every other process that it has for your entire life like it's it's wild it is wild i liked it i like it a lot we talked about the rockets a while ago i just think it's that to me it is just you're just looking at these rockets and that's it yeah no other variables there's nothing else going on it's crazy so it's like you what do they do they all start off together and whichever one yeah they starts going yeah they start off at yeah whatever one you i'm not going to say feed into because again i want to remove the mind part, like the whole point of this is learning how to let your mind separate from your brain. Like you like kind of going back to work hard, don't try hard. If you're trying too hard to make that blue rocket go, it's not going to go. The yellow one's probably going to go. So it's interesting because I can't think of any other illustration in my own life where I could see that sort of feedback immediately and make that connection. Like, oh, like if I'm thinking too much about this and this isn't going to happen. I mean, we see the impacts of good versus bad thought processes and athletics so easily, but you don't get that immediate sort of feedback like, oh shoot, like I'm trying too hard in this. And so this is happening instead, but this gives you that sort of picture all in one succinct place. Yeah. So it's really cool. And there's different objectives that you meet. Like every once in a while, there'll be like a little space crystal that floats across. And if your blue rocket flies through it, then you get an extra 10 points or whatever. And so when I first- You could ignore it and not be super- just detracted by it yeah it's like what we were talking about earlier like if you are too obsessed with the objective like if i see that space crystal and i'm like oh shoot i need to go get it then all of a sudden it floats away but if i'm just like oh it's there like if i just keep doing what i'm doing that it's going to meet with me eventually like our paths are going to cross and then all of a sudden it just is so natural and easy so going back to what we said earlier about being so locked in and so obsessed with the goal it almost is counterproductive yeah it's detrimental yeah i think i think if i were to do that and just in listening to you talk about it, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm going to leave this room and go see like rockets everywhere. <laughs> this is where I want to be. Yeah. And I feel like you're getting trained to see the world differently, obviously, but yeah. rec- I just feel like you're getting trained to recognize things more yeah. than, than you would did before or you would. And then I think, obviously, I'm like a big, if you have four small problems, it's probably because there's one main problem. Mm-hmm. I feel like fixing the main thing fixes the four things. Yeah. I feel like in this journey, right, and, and learning these things, I feel like the big thing is is recognizing. So yeah. you're learning to recognize, and then once you recognize good or bad or mm-hmm. indifferent, then you can kind of adjust quicker. Yeah. Right? Something that would stress you out, you can recognize it now instead of a week later going, wow, I've been stressing about this and I shouldn't yeah. have Now it's like, okay, I recognize it immediately. I might yeah. put a minute or two into it, but then realize what it is and and way how I want to react to this 
I think that's I think it's amazing because I think perspective is everything how you yeah. see things how you see the world and if you can recognize the world mm-hmm. and see it it's a big deal yeah. a lot of people see it the way they see it no matter what right so to be able to kind of change the way you see things and, and recognize and now you can see it how you choose to see it yeah uh, like I tell my daughter that every day like I make her go straight up to the front curtain window mm-hmm. she pulls it open and says it's a beautiful day Aww. and I'm like why I always ask her why she goes because it is and it doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's foggy, if it's sunny, because I just believe in like you can, you are making, you'll make the world what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just believe in that like, yeah. big time. And I, I just feel like this, what you're doing with this neurofeedback is a way to see it like just heightened and more aware. Yeah. I think being aware is everything. Self awareness is key. Oh, yeah. But I just think this is amazing. Like, I want to go do this right now. Do it. It's awesome. Things on my brain and yeah, <laughs> and do this stuff. So I might. I just think it's cool. It's super cool. I just feel like uh, yeah. I mean, you hit it on the head. Like just being aware, and it's crazy. Like when I'm driving back home from San Diego after doing a session, just I mean, seeing all the cars like merging. I mean, I'm I'm not. You know me. I'm not an aggressive person anyway. Like I don't really get road rage. But like if someone cuts me off, I'm just like, oh, they must have somewhere really important they need to be. Like <laughs> I don't know. Everything just seems. It is what it is. Like it just isn't. I don't know. And and you're so right about like your perspective really truly changing the way that the world is to you. I mean, I, I feel like we find what we're looking for. So if you're looking for reasons to be upset that day, or if you're looking for it to be a beautiful day, then it's going to be a beautiful day. And obviously, there's always things that happen outside of our control. But once you learn to accept that those things are going to happen, then it makes it much easier to control the things that are within your control. And I'm a, a firm believer that perspective and attitude are two of those things that you can control yeah. every minute of every day. I totally agree. And I just feel like people look for, I feel like people in general, not everybody, but more people, including myself sometimes, I just feel like subconsciously, it's like you're looking for something negative. Like yeah. to, to have somebody pull in front of you or cut you off and the biggest change in your entire day is that you slowed down four and a half miles an hour. Like if that's going to just make you flip your lid and get pissed, mm-hmm. subconsciously you were just waiting for something. Yeah. You might not know it or it's just regular because you're supposed to get angry when somebody cuts you off. Yeah. You're supposed to get angry when someone pulls in front of you or does something that benefits them without any thought or regard to you. Like you're just supposed to be irritated because that's the way the world says you are. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's just, I think choosing to go, yeah, person's in a hurry. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. It's all good. (laughs) Like I didn't crash. I'm just tapped my brake pedal for a minute like yeah it's not a big issue and I I don't know I feel like if you wake up or you go to bed with the perspective of you're alive you're healthy life is good mm-hmm. obviously that's like the base what everybody talks about but I don't know for me it just I practice that because I think coming from my genes my mm-hmm. gene pool of my family I'll fly off the handle for no reason mm-hmm. and recognize it 10 minutes later and go what a dumbass like, <laughs> that sucks but yeah. I just recognize it now more than I'm a little older and I just realize it's starting my day off the right way and, mm-hmm. and deciding to be happy and deciding to come down to anything play some music that makes me feel good yeah then all of a sudden the little things don't bother you as much because you are setting yourself up to be in a good mood yeah and I don't know I just wish that more people sought the happiness than they did the and I don't think it's that they don't seek the happiness I think like I said, subconsciously, they're just waiting for something to piss them off. Yeah. Well, I think what it comes down to, and it honestly changed my world when I realized this, I think what it comes down to is fear. I think if we're being completely 
honest with ourselves, like in our most quiet moments, if we trace the things that are aggravating us or making us angry or frustrated or irritated, if you trace them all the way, all the way, all the way back to their origin, it's some sort of fear. So like if you're flying off the handle because someone cuts you off, I mean, if your family's in the car, maybe you're afraid of for their safety. But if yeah. you're just in a rush and you're frustrated because there's traffic or whatever, then there's fear that I don't know, whoever you have a meeting with, if you're late, then it's going to make you look irresponsible. Or if you're frustrated that you could pick anything. I think if if you trace it back, it really just comes down to fear. And I feel like that's where there's power in our awareness, as you were saying earlier. Like it takes a certain amount of courage to shine light on those deep, dark parts of ourselves. Because once the light's there, then you're kind of accountable to knowing what it is and how to address it. But once you put the work in to address those deep-rooted fears that you have, it makes everything a lot smaller, kind of as we were talking about earlier. And then little things don't bother you as much because you're able to recognize them for what they are. Like, I'm not mad at this person for cutting me off. I'm mad at them because they think that like where they need to go is more important than where I need to go. Like fear of inferiority or something like that. And obviously this isn't the same like everybody has their own things. I'm just making up examples. But once I realized that those small negative feelings that I had were really a symptom of something bigger and darker, it allowed me to recognize them quicker and address them in the way they need to be addressed. Kind of what you're saying, like four little problems are actually just symptoms of one big problem. And everybody's big problem might be something different. But I think once you recognize them for what they are, it's like, I don't need to work on my irritability. I need to work on figuring out the reason why this certain thing irritates me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I like that. I think it's deep. It's a deep thought. (laughs) It's a deep thought. But it's like, I think fear is a driving force for all kinds of things. All sorts of stuff. All kinds of things. People, all kinds of good things too. Mm Mm-hmm. People will work hard because they have a fear of failing or not being good enough. And I think that's a good driving factor. I think fear can be your friend in certain things if you can use it. But I do think you're right. I I think you're absolutely right. Fear is detrimental to a lot of people's happiness and view on things. Yeah. Because I agree. If I'm wife and baby are in the car and somebody cuts me off, I'm a lot more irritated than they are if I was just there. Right. I think that'd be interesting to see how often you think about your reaction to things versus Mm -hmm. or how many of your reactions were fueled by fear yeah it's wild it is wild right (laughs) it's very crazy and i mean i think of it in terms of like athletics i can think of so many coaches that have had successful programs and they definitely use the intimidation fear tactic to motivate their athletes to do what they want them to do and those teams are always consistently in the top you know, 15, top 10. But I feel that the ones that are consistently like top five or winning like those championships are cultures of love. Like it's it's not a fear culture where, oh my gosh, we got to put this work in or else coach is going to be pissed or else we're going to lose these games. It's more like for the love of the game or for the love of the people around me. Like I want to put in this extra work. I think that, and actually I majored in administrative leadership in undergrad and I had to do a research paper on this, like the fear motivator versus like the inspirational or love motivator and if you look at different dictators in our in history or world history yeah they were able to get people to do things that they wanted them to do but those people they got the task done but it wasn't quite as effective as the people that inspired people and led them by example and motivated them with other tactics uh, positive tactics and so at the end of the day yeah you might get 
a similar outcome, but the extra like 2% that really gets you above and beyond is I think we're wired to be motivated by love because it, I don't know, it's just in our DNA. Like that's what we were created. We were created to receive love and to give love to other people. And so I think that when you treat people with respect and you earn their admiration more than earning their fear, like you still earn respect, but it's in a more effective way and it's going to make everybody achieve a little bit more because everybody is happy <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I think the difference in those two coaching styles or those two leadership styles is that you feel like you're either doing it for the coach or you're doing it with the coach. And it's, right. It's a big deal to say there's 18 of those girls and then there's seven coaches on the staff or whatever it is. Yeah. And they're just like us. They mm-hmm. have a role mm-hmm. and their role and their job is to prepare us and put yeah. the best team on the field. And our job is just as important as theirs, if not more, because we have to now, once they put some faith in us and say, you're the nine today, yeah, you got to go be the right nine. Right. But there's a big difference in, in doing, I know all kinds of people that have won all kinds of things with coaches they hate. And it's like, yeah. that's a bummer. Yeah. Like it's nice to be able to go back. I think a good example is the national championship this year with Alabama and Clemson. Mm-hmm. Saban with Alabama. I watched this Rolling with the Tide. It's like a documentary on their mm-hmm. whole season. And he's really, really good with the players. Yeah. Like he builds relationships. But there's a big difference in, in the way he builds those relationships. And then Dabo Sweeney is like yeah. just this revolutionary, everybody love everybody. Right. You know, and, yeah. and then go dominate in the national championship. That's a pretty clear, I think, thing on, on guys that get to that level and they have a job to do for their coach mm-hmm. versus guys that get to that level and they have a job to do for everybody. Yeah. And there's an accountability that you want. Right. The accountability you want is he hasn't let me down. I'm not going to let him down. Right. Or she hasn't let me down. I'm not going to let her down versus my accountability is to my coach because he needs to win this national championship. Right. And he's made it clear that <laughs> you let's go. Yeah. You guys are my players. Go right. get it done. And I think now more than ever, that's an old school way of coaching probably. Yeah. But then you look at a John Wooden way back then and that's right. all he talked about is winning was part of it, but it was all about relationships. And, right. And that's just the avenue to coaching or leading or being a, a boss or manager or whatever yeah. it is. Just the human connection is yeah. like everything. Yeah. It's everything. We've talked about that where it's like if, if I meet somebody for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and they see me a year later, I want them to be like, oh man, that guy. Yeah. He's nice. I remember that guy. He, for 10 minutes, I talked to him, and I felt good when the conversation was over. Right. Just like if it's 10-year relationship. Yeah. Because people come and go. That's right. the way it goes, and you'll have whatever little piece of time or big piece of time you have with those people. But I just think we're super responsible for the energy and the vibes that you bring to somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Like That's, I think, our biggest responsibility Yeah. is to be good to people, number one, but, but like genuinely good. Yeah. Because people can feel fake obviously oh yeah obviously oh, yeah. <laughs> but i don't know I, I just think and i think that's where people should just be people mm-hmm. like don't it, it's hard to not try to be a certain way when you see it now social media everything's everywhere yeah everywhere yeah so i feel like there's a i wouldn't call it a standard but there's so many different things to see and think like i want to be like that and then go try to be that mm-hmm. that person or that way and it's like just become like real self-aware of who you are and then just be really good at that like really good. I feel like that's like the process you're in right now. Yeah. <laughs> like you're getting, uh, you just seem, like I told you, you seem happy, you seem confident, the whole deal. And you've always seemed a little bit of all those things. Mm-hmm. 
but now you just seem like those are all being like glorified. You just feel good and, and life is good, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I, that to me is somebody that said, okay, where am I at? Where am I supposed to be? What do I want to be? And then to find something like, I feel like people want to always put the purpose of life into like work. What's yeah. the purpose? And then how can I go make that work? Whatever. But yeah. I feel like the purpose of life is like you're right now. This isn't the job. This is making your life a whole lot better. Right by being happy and waking up. Now, the benefactor of all that is going to be whatever you choose to do, you're going to be a lot smarter, happier, into Mm -hmm. it. Like, you're going to find something you like, and you're going to be in a much better headspace than even if you were in a good headspace. Right. Like, you put three months into getting into a better headspace. Right. So now you're going to be like this really good version of Tori doing something that Tori likes. Like, that's that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And an easy way to be successful, I think, because now it's not a it's not a grind, it's not a day to day thing. It's just right. a I'm excited to go do what I'm gonna do. Yeah. Have a good energy about it and it's gonna be a fun time. And then then you can put work in that matters. Right. Because you feel good. Right. I think it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. First of all, thank you for telling me that. Like yeah. that makes me feel good. Yeah. I feel good. good. So I'm glad to see that it, it's uh radiating. Yeah, the energy rubs off for sure. Cool. We've we've had a I don't know, two or three sit downs in the last yeah. couple of weeks, and they just, and we both feel like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. I feel energized. <laughs> I feel good. I feel happy. And that's part of, I guess, what I just said, like bringing that vibe and that energy to the table. Yeah. And then whether it was a 20 minute conversation or an hour and a half, it's like, I know I always leave and like, it was good. Yeah. I feel like I see things a little differently, and hopefully, you know, you do too. And I just feel like it's good. And that's why I feel like it's important to bring that because. Sucks to sit down with somebody and talk for a minute. I can't wait for this kind of thing. Just trying to move on. I know. Yeah. No, we always have good conversations. But yeah, I I think that I don't have any sort of scientific evidence to back this up. But I don't believe that you can just be a stagnant, neutral person in this world. I feel like you're either contributing to the love and the beauty or you're kind of taken away from it. And kind of going back to what you said, like if you go in and you just have that attitude that like I'm going to make this person feel loved I'm going to make this person feel motivated or feel really good about themselves like that's going to rub off on people and they're going to want to do that to others and then they're going to want to do to others and just multiplies but if you're a Debbie Downer that is you know looking for the reasons to be bummed about the day or looking for excuses as to why things aren't going your way and again don't want to be insensitive sometimes things happen that are outside of our control like Totally get that. Every day is not a good day. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you can you can control the way that you interact with people or at least your first impression with people. Like if you're having a bad day, you need to have a tough conversation. Of course, it's not going to feel great, but you can walk into that conversation with a mindset of like, all right, I'm going to be open-minded and I'm going to lead with love and I'm going to respect this person. I'm not going to be like a huge jerk to them. Like I, I think that those little things like go a long way. And we had a conversation last week about vibes mm-hmm. <laughs> and words and how they impact they actually have a tangible impact on the world around us. And I think that's so true. Like they've done studies on the like little shoots of a plant and then one plant yes. is being spoken. Like awesome. Oh, so cool. It's I I like I geek out on this stuff. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) cool. It's like you have two little sproutlets of a plant and one, you know, there's scientists saying really nice, beautiful things to it. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to be like the healthiest, (laughs) most radiant flower we've ever seen. And then the other one, they just say like terrible things to like Mm -hmm. insult it. Well, over a couple weeks, like the little sproutlet that was treated with love and care shot up like (laughs) so many inches. And the other one just shriveled and was 
I don't know if it died or, I mean, it was just bad. And same thing, they've done a similar study with a glass of water. The water that is spoken to kindly, uh, if you look at it on like under a microscope at like almost a molecular level, the molecules are very orderly and uniform. And the ones in the cup that were like abused <laughs> for <laughs> lack of a better word, it's chaos. Like the, the molecules are scattered and it, it's, it's just, it's in disarray. And I just think that's such a cool illustration of like the power and impact that our words have on the people and the things in the world around us. Like we, in a certain sense, can kind of shape our life, shape our world and the people around us just by the way that we treat them. And I just think that that's something that a lot of people in our society don't really acknowledge that much anymore. They, I mean, it, it's hard not to be this way with the way that like our businesses are set up and the way that social media is. It's so easy to become self-centered and self-focused and not to say that it's not okay to focus on yourself. I think, I mean, the whole put the oxygen mask on yourself before the infant sitting next to you on a plane mm -hmm. thing is true. Like you need to be able to fill your own bucket so you have something to pour out of into other people. But I think that the truly happy people and the ones that other people want to be around are the ones that are taking that second to recognize the impact that they can have on the lives around them and the reality around them. And they're taking that role seriously. Like every opportunity they get to put something good out there, they're going to take that opportunity and put something good out there. And whether you feel like you're one of these people or not, I think every one of us has had an experience with someone like that. You know, kind of what you were saying, Jake, like you feel good walking away from that conversation or that interaction, like it makes everything better. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It does. I think the study, number one, is, is amazing. Oh, yeah. I want the job where I can just talk, talk super to plants. Nice to plants <laughs> talk really nice to plants and yeah. cups of water. But it is true. I think a study like that just makes it feel very real. Yeah. And that you're not just putting out nice words. Like there's legitimate waves that come through there and, and hit somebody in a good way or a negative way. Like we all have, I think, a lot of both of those people in our lives. Yeah. You know that you have people where you say, Hey, how's it going? And then two minutes later, after their sob story, you're like, I'm sorry I asked. Yeah. I just wanted you to say good. Yeah. And then we can go order some food. Like, right. Not that that's good or bad, but I think it's easier. Like you said, it's a choice, right? right. I, I'm going to go meet Tori. I'm having a terrible day. Mm -hmm. If I am if I know I'm going to sit down and talk to you for an hour and a half about things, like it's pretty easy to mentally decide, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to, this is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm not going to walk in here and say, oh, let me tell you about my day. Right. It was awful. And then you go, cool. Now, I just listened to a sad story, and I feel like not stoked about all of this. Right. Right. And my day didn't happen to you, but because I put those vibes on you, and you're like, well, cool. Yeah. Now, I feel like I was a little part of your bad day, and we're going to have a bad conversation. <laughs> like, So I don't know. I like it. I just like the feeling of feeling like you are in control of other people as far as what you give them. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a big, like, service guy. I just feel like people have talents and passions and, like, whatever they are, whatever they're into. And the, the reason you have that is to go give it to somebody else. Right. Or do something else. Artists don't paint a bunch of nice pictures to stick in their own house. Like, right. I want someone else to enjoy this, and I want to go write this music so that other people can enjoy it. And I just feel like that should be everybody. And no matter yeah. the talent or the skill or the passion, in 2019, there's a market for anything that you want to do, right? anything. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. I think it's important to learn when it's a good time to rest and recoup and recover and just get back in touch with yourself and your priorities. And I feel like that's been 
my life for the last few months, and it's been pretty cool for me. I feel like I've grown a lot more in this season of rest than I did over the last several years of hard, tough, grueling work. Don't get me wrong. It was a lot of fun stuff that I was doing, but I feel like I am more myself now, not having any idea what my future is going to look like than I did as an athlete when I knew what the next five years like what my goals were and what I was working towards. So it's it's kind of a cool free fall, <laughs> I guess, right mm-hmm. now. And I'm just excited to see what comes from it in a few months. Well, I'm excited to follow up and see how things are going. And I know I pulled all kinds of little life tidbits out of this. And <laughs> I know too. I think the every listener is probably going to be a little more informed and a little more thoughtful. So awesome having you. Love being um, here. Good luck with everything. And we'll see you back on here soon. Cool. You're the all best, right. Jake. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the patience on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the other cool things out there. Go, go, go.